0: Thank you for downloading this sermon from Grace Presbyterian Church. Grace is a church where people seeking more grace, more depth, and more community can start finding their way and sharing their gifts with the world. You can follow us online at org. Peter was, of course, a pillar of the ancient church, uh, the original church in that apostolic era, And Peter wrote, although he didn't write nearly as much as, for example, Paul does, Peter wrote a couple of encyclical letters, letters that were sent to a region and meant to be circulated around. They'd be read in the churches and then passed along to other churches so that as he addresses the people, he's addressing uh, not just a particular congregation, he's not just thinking about uh, the circumstances at a particular church, the way, for example, uh, Paul would be doing in writing to the church at Corinth. Instead, Peter has in mind uh, believers in a region in general. So as a result, as we read what he has to say to them, the applicability uh, to us, I think, becomes readily apparent. This morning, though, we're not going to bite off too much. We're just going to look at the very beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1. We're actually just going to read the introduction to the letter. We're not even going to get into the body of the letter. We're just going to look at the introduction. As you know, though, from uh, Pauline epistles, even the introduction can be theologically rich. But this is Peter, not Paul. So while it can be theologically rich, it will not be super long, the way that Paul's introductions tend to be. Peter is blessedly succinct. But in his succinctness, he packs a lot of good stuff in. So let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1 this is actually just the first two verses peter an apostle of jesus christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in pontus galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia according to the foreknowledge of god the father in the sanctification of the spirit for obedience to jesus christ and for sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. As Peter writes his letter, he opens with a greeting. He opens with a greeting the way you would any other letter. hi, this is Peter. But he also gives not just his own name, but he also names the audience. He tells who it is that he's speaking to. And the name that he gives is the thing that I want to unpack a little bit. Because he says that he's writing to people that he refers to as elect exiles. Elect exiles, chosen exiles, chosen outcasts, people who have been dispersed through the world. This is who he's writing to, elect exiles. And If you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you are one of God's chosen exiles. One of the same elect exiles that Peter is speaking to. But we need to acknowledge right off the bat that uh, chosen is a bad word. Chosen is a word that we don't use a lot. Elect is a word that we have exiled, in other words, and we try to avoid mentioning it as much as possible. But then Something happens, you start going through Scripture line by line, and inevitably Scripture uses terminology that you wouldn't choose if you had the choice, and then you don't have the choice. You actually have to deal with what Peter's talking about, what does it mean. But chosen is for us a bad word. If you go around boasting that you're chosen, if you introduce yourself to people, hi, I'm one of the chosen ones, you're just going to alienate people. You're just going to alienate them. Because for one thing, when you go around saying that you're chosen, it gives everybody the impression that you think you're better than everybody else. Right? Oh, I'm one of the chosen ones. I'm one of the elect. So clearly I must be better than you. You also do this other thing when you talk about yourself as chosen. Right? You kind of raise the point, like, what about those who are not chosen? Right? You're not just sort of bragging about yourself, but you're really... Uh, separating yourself off from other people as well. As a result of this, we don't like to use a word like chosen or a word like elect. And as a result, even Christians, even Christians who believe in the authority of the Bible, typically either reject this idea outright. It's One of those things, the Bible says something, you're like, la, 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 keep reading. Or... We find a way to explain it where it becomes inoffensive. And it sounds really bad, but let me explain it to you in such a way that that it actually means just the opposite of what it sounds like. It's actually the most non-chosen thing in the world if we just explain it the right way. And that's typically what we do. We redefine to the point of meaninglessness or we reject outright what the Bible is saying We're not going to do either of those things this morning. Because chosen is what you are. If you are in Christ, you are chosen. You are chosen. Peter is addressing these elect exiles, and he's using these terms almost as if it's a name. And there's power in naming. When you say who people are, like you're saying something essential to them. And what he's saying to us is, it's essential. To who you are, this idea of election and this idea of exile. If you don't understand what it means, then I think there's there's an aspect of who you are that will be hard to understand as well. Like we have to come to terms with this in order to understand who we are in Christ. Elect exiles. Now, exile is interesting. Because exile is a word that Christians are, we're kind of in the process of reclaiming. The idea in the New Testament that Christians are exiles is something that we have tapped into recently. You've heard me talk about this over the last year time and time again. Because the fact is, at least here in America, for a long time Christians, we really identified uh, America with Christianity. And it was easy to think that whatever our problems were, or whatever our hopes were, the answers to those things could be found in political solutions at the next election. If we send the right people to office, or we pass the right laws, or or whatever it is, and then everything will be as it should be. And we're coming to realize maybe that's not true, and maybe that's not who we are. Maybe that's not the relationship that we stand in in relation to the world God has placed us in. Like, maybe we're not meant to be rulers of this kingdom. Maybe we're here as exiles. Now, we talk about this, but I think we're only really at the beginning of understanding what that really means. Like, what does it mean to say that Christians are exiles, strangers in a strange land? We're starting to get clues about what that is, but, but we certainly haven't mastered it. I'm going to suggest here that in the same way that we're in the process of understanding what it means to be exiles, that we need also to be in the process of what it means, like understanding what it means to be elect, to be chosen. That in the same way that we need to own our exile, we also need to find a way to own our election as well. Both of those things are important. And what that means is we've got to forget about some things. But we've got to forget about like frozen chosen and all of the different ways that what the Bible teaches has been qualified to death, neutralized, eliminated, or even ridiculed. And instead start with a clean slate and actually look at what Peter is saying when he says you are elect exiles, you are God's chosen exiles. I should just mention in passing, it is Peter saying this. Like, sometimes we tell ourselves that the stuff we don't like in the Bible, Paul put that stuff in the Bible, right? That's Paul's fault. And everybody else in the Bible, they were cool. And it was just this one guy, this over-educated guy who, who nitpicked details, and, and he put a lot of stuff in the Bible. It would have been better if maybe he had not done. As we go through Peter, you're going to find that there's not daylight between Peter and Paul. You're not talking about two different doctrines, two different ways of seeing the world. You're talking about one revelation given by God, and they see things in the same way. We need to understand what it means to be elect, what it means to be an exile. In fact, I kind of think we can't understand what either of those things mean without the other. I almost think as Peter puts those words together that it's important that both of them be there. That in order to understand the chosenness, you need to understand the exile as well. And in order to understand the exile, and to live through the exile, you also need to understand the chosenness. Now Paul, I said, sees things in a similar way. And Paul, of course, explains things a little bit more thoroughly. Paul says, if you're wondering about your chosenness, you need to know this. You weren't chosen because of your wisdom. Your power, or your birth, your merit, or anything like that. Because you weren't any of those things. Not at all. God didn't choose you because you're worthy, in other words. He also didn't choose you because you're unworthy. There's no criteria given that we can look to apart from the glory of God. He did what he did for reasons that are his, not ours. And he doesn't explain them or defend them to us. This is how... Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Paul didn't care about your self-esteem. Right? He's just saying, look, not many of you were wise. In fact, you were foolish. You were foolish. You were weak. You were low and despised. Low and despised. Don't put on airs. Don't brag. Don't boast. You weren't good enough to get into the kingdom. That's not why you're here. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. He's talking about us. He's talking about us. Now, there are places in the world you can go to where people will be really clear with you. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> obviously, you're fools. But we don't usually think of ourselves that way. We tend to have a pretty good opinion of ourselves, but we shouldn't. There's nothing for us to boast about. When people assume that believing in the doctrine of election or or the idea that God chooses us for salvation, when you assume that that implies merit, you don't understand the point that's being made. God doesn't choose. Explicitly says, no, it is not because you're good. It's not because you're worthy. It's not because you're deserving. Because you're rich, powerful, wise. Any of that. None of that is the case. You're despised. You're despised. That term low and despised that Paul uses reminds us of how undeserving we are just as that word chosen reminds us how loved we are. Because if you are in Christ, then you are a despised person. Chosen for the Trinitarian work of salvation. Chosen for salvation. For the people that, that Peter is writing to, this idea of chosenness is not an obstacle. It's not a hurdle to overcome because it's nothing new. It's nothing new. In the Old Testament religion, the idea of being a chosen people was central to the identity of God's people. If you had gone and asked an an Israelite during that Old Testament period, are you one of the chosen people? He would have said, yeah, obviously. Yes. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's our identity. We are chosen by God. God chose us despite how small we are, despite how weak we are, despite how despised we are, despite how dominated by our enemies we are, we are God's chosen people. They understood themselves that way, so it's not surprising that if Jesus comes to fulfill that Old Testament religion and the first Christians understand themselves to be inheritors of those old covenant promises, it's not surprising that this idea of chosenness would be passed along as well. Without question, of course. Of course you are elect. Of course you are elect, chosen by God. Otherwise, how could you be here? How could you have received this great salvation? Why you are chosen is a mystery, as I said, but what you are chosen for is not a mystery. Why you're chosen is the mystery What you're chosen for is no mystery at all. Believers inherit the promise of salvation. The promise of everlasting life. Receiving that salvation is what makes you one of the chosen people. If you go back to the way Peter addresses his letter, it says to those who are elect exiles, and we'll skip a little, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. You'll notice, like all three persons of the Trinity, a reference there, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the work of salvation. There's one commenter who uh, translates that line a little bit differently because he's trying to emphasize the implications of of the original grammar puts it this way, that we're chosen in the foreknowledge of God the Father and consecrated by the Spirit for obedience to the Gospel and sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not talking there about three different things. We're talking about parts of one whole thing. And that is the work of salvation. Now the way, again, that Peter puts this, it's very succinct, But when he references Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what he attributes to them in the work of salvation, it is the same way that Paul speaks of these very same ideas. Usually, if you were preaching about election, you would be preaching from Ephesians chapter 1. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 1, you find it's almost like Peter has written an outline and Paul has filled some of the blanks in. But listen to the way that, that Paul speaks of this very same idea And there's an astonishing similarity. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of, of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And a little further down, he adds that this promise is sealed by the Holy Spirit. So again, the work of salvation is the work of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of them. The work of the Father has to do with something that that takes place before the foundation of the world, this foreknowledge of God, that everything happens according to. And the work of the Spirit has to do with, with applying salvation to our lives in our history, this consecration of us. Of course, the work of the Son is the work of redemption. He accomplishes redemption at the cross through the shedding of His blood. So, the gospel that's being proclaimed by Peter and Paul is the same gospel. That gospel is performed by the same God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the persons of the Trinity do the same thing in that work of salvation as well. For shorthand, you sometimes will hear me say that redemption is ordained by the Father, accomplished by the Son, applied by the Holy Spirit. And one point there is to emphasize the Trinitarian nature that, that all of the Trinity, all of the Godhead is involved in the work of salvation is essential to the work of salvation. Like no one's on the sidelines watching. But the other thing is to emphasize that it is the work of redemption that we're talking about. There is a unity, a wholeness to the work. Every part of it is essential. Election doesn't cancel out the need to repent and believe. If anyone's ever talked to you about election and you thought, okay, but what you're telling me is the fix is in. It doesn't matter what I do. No, that's not what we're saying. It does matter. We are called to repent and believe. We must do that. That is essential to salvation. The difference is, as we'll say later, you just don't get credit for it. You don't get credit for it. Every part of the work of salvation is necessary to it every aspect of the doctrine of salvation as paul speaks of it as peter speaks of it it all goes together you can't take parts of it out that appeal to you and leave behind the parts that don't they all fit together they all serve a purpose we're just not always certain what that purpose is because we tend to avoid the things that make us uncomfortable and as a result we don't know why the bible teaches certain things because we don't dig deep enough into them to understand the reasons. This uncomfortable word, chosen, elect, is meant to give you comfort. This uncomfortable word is meant to give you comfort, which is strange because election makes people uncomfortable. Some of you look pretty comfortable. Some of you look a little uncomfortable. I feel a little uncomfortable talking about this. Right, It makes us uncomfortable. We need to be honest about it. It's an uncomfortable thing to talk about. And so we don't talk about it, because it's not nice to talk about things that make people uncomfortable. We don't want to make people uncomfortable. We want you to feel welcomed and at home and that sort of thing. And so we don't talk about this stuff. And the irony is, the reason that the Bible talks about it is exactly to give you comfort. I'm not saying that a guy like Peter would never say anything to make you feel uncomfortable. I suspect he would. But this isn't one of those things. This is meant to give us comfort if we understood it. But why doesn't it give us comfort? Why doesn't it? Think about that. I think one way to understand it is this. Comfortable people don't need to be comforted. Comfortable people don't need to be comforted. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you go to dinner with rich people, you never have to pay the tab. It's one of the things I like about it. And some of you are like, no, no, please let me. I'm I'm never like that. I'm like, "Mm, that's good. I'm fine with that. Right? If you're rich, you pay. Right? You pay because you don't need not to. You don't need somebody else's help and you don't want to ask for that help. You do what you can do. Right? When you have advantages, you want to use those advantages to help others, as a blessing to others. Right? That flows naturally from the idea of having privilege. And also, another thing you don't do is you don't show off. or You don't show off. If you're wealthy and you're wise, you don't brag about it. Right? Ostentatious displays of wealth, that sort of thing. You don't rub it in people's noses, not at all. Like you keep it quiet, subtle, inoffensive. You don't brag. Same thing is true for talent. Really successful talented people attribute their success to either blessings or luck. Right? The most successful people are always talking about how fortunate they are, how blessed they are. The, the, the like, talented people who are always bragging are the unsuccessful talented people. As a writer, I know a lot of those. Because most writers you know are unsuccessful, no matter how talented they are. The more talented and unsuccessful you are, the more you feel the need to talk about how talented you are. And I think that applies across the board. But if you've got it, and it's been acknowledged, and you're comfortable, you make others feel comfortable. You don't talk about things or put things in their face or even think about things that don't comfort. I think Christians approach this idea of election in a similar spirit. It's the sort of thing you wouldn't talk about because it makes people uncomfortable and, and it's the equivalent of like, like a rich guy bragging about his riches to, to poor people right it's like you're you're making yourself big at the expense of others and i think we do that we think of it that way because like we don't think we're despised we don't think we're exiles we don't think we're foolish and low and as a result we have no need of something as extreme as election, as chosenness. It's no comfort to be singled out for something good if you didn't need it in the first place. If you've already got a garage full of cars and somebody gives you a new car, it's like, no, please, it's an embarrassment of riches. And that's the way we tend to view these things. We don't want to talk about it. We certainly don't want to praise God for it because it just sounds so bad and so unnecessary and so redundant because... We were already so far ahead. So unneedy. That's the part that has to change. We'll never understand how the doctrine of election can be a comfort if we don't first understand how despised and rejected we are. Like Christ was despised and rejected. If we're in Christ, we too are despised and rejected. And what I'm not talking about here is that you're not like praised by your culture. I don't mean that as a Christian you have certain ideas or beliefs that you can't jettison, that as a result you're kind of looked at as backwards by the culture. I don't mean that. That's not the kind of despised and rejected I'm talking about. I'm talking about the the despised and rejected and lowly state that our so-called righteousness puts us in, in the eyes of a holy judge. That's the lowness I'm talking about because, frankly, it doesn't matter what other people think about you. It doesn't matter if the world condemns your ideas. Like, that's always been the case. If you think about how you stand in relation to a holy God, then you start understanding how despised, how low, how foolish, how weak you really are, how lacking in worthiness and merits. And then, then there can be comfort in the idea of God's electing love. Maybe what we need is a little discomfort, frankly, because we think we're wise. We think we're powerful. We think we don't need something as extreme as this salvation. Until we realize how wrong we are about that, we'll never know who we are. The only comfort we have, the only real comfort we have is in our identity as God's chosen exiles. When Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you, the only means by which there is that multiplication of grace and peace is through the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you feel comfortable without Him, that comfort is a false comfort based on not realizing who and what you are. You turn to Christ and find the real thing. Throughout this series, this idea of Christians as God's chosen exiles is what we're going to attempt to unpack, to understand in all of the ways that Peter gives us to understand it. But for now, to begin with, the thing that I want us to realize is that for God's chosen exiles, the glory of God is is everything. All the glory of salvation goes to God alone. When we talk about the Gospel of Jesus Christ and we call you to repent and believe, I want you to understand when we call you to obey the Gospel, it's not because we think you're worthy that you're a good person. It's not because we think, hey, I think you'd fit in here. This is a community of good people and we'd love to have you. Not at all. Not at all. The gospel doesn't speak to you as a good person. The gospel calls to you as a sinner. And it calls to me as a sinner. And if you obey, if you believe, if you repent of your sins and you turn to Christ, it is not because you're a good person either. It's not because you made the right choice. You thought about it. Unlike other people, maybe, who don't do their due diligence, don't make good choices. You made a good choice. And it says something about you. That when you heard the Gospel, you believed, no. If you obey, we do not say it means you're a good person. We say it's the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working within you. The Gospel, as you hear it proclaimed here, will give you a lot of comfort over time. One thing it's never going to give you is credit. You're never going to get credit for what you do. Because it's always the Holy Spirit working and willing within you. And when you doubt, when you've heard it, and you've believed it, you've confessed it, you've felt the power of the Spirit in your life, but then you doubt. You wander. When that happens, we're not going to come to you and say, but remember the choice you made? Remember how sincere you were? Don't you remember what you felt? We're not going to point you back to your history and say that's where you should go to find the assurance and to find the strength. When you doubt, we're going to point you back to the eternal love of the Father before the foundation of the world. Because the reality is, none of us knows how good the choices we make are. None of us knows how pure our motives were in the moment. In hindsight, every good thing you've ever done You can pick apart and find the ulterior motives. If you want to doubt, you can find the means to doubt everything but Him. How do you doubt the Creator of the universe? The One who before the foundation of the world knew you and loved you and determined to do unthinkable, unimaginable things to bring you back into communion with Him. That is the comfort of being chosen. Not being special. Not being smarter. Not being better. Not being more meritorious or any of those things. But rather, receiving the love of God the Father. The love of God the Son. And the love of the Holy Spirit that turns our hearts to Him. We are God's exiles. Yes. Despised and low, yes, but we are His chosen exiles. And If your comfort isn't in Christ, then I would encourage you to turn to Him and find comfort in the cross of Christ. Thank you for listening. You can find more sermons from Grace and information about joining us for worship by visiting our website at graceforsuefalls.org.